Hello there, everybody. It's me, Gary Kidney, the co-host of You've Got to Be Kidding Me on the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. And I am Liam Jones, my full name, and I am also a part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network as a co-host, but you've got to be kidding me. We are a TNA history podcast that covers TNA one month at a time. We cover all the drama, all the matches, all the Vince Russo nonsense you could ever want in your life. Have you you heard of TNA? I bet you have. But would it be funnier if two people made jokes over it the whole time? Probably. So if that sounds like fun to you, check it out on this very Voices of Wrestling podcasting network, and Liam will do bits and whatnot. This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. Hello everybody and welcome to the Super Jcast. I'm Joel, joined by Dave McDonald. It is Saturday the 7th of January 2023. This is episode 241. Welcome to the presumably thousands of new listeners we would have picked up. Uh, this is the definitive number one podcast with New Japan Pro Wrestling. This is probably going to be our most listened to podcast of the year, Dave. People are desperate to hear our Wrestle Kingdom 17 takes. So what should we talk about first? Should we go with poo or pornography or genitalia? Because we've got to put our best foot forward here. That's a, good, that's a very good point. I didn't consider the uh, the pressure now that we now have um, with, yes, what will hopefully be uh, at least a few new people popping in, seeing what we thought about Wrestle Kingdom. We do it every year. We do it every single year. And uh, it is a popular episode. Besides uh, the Kevin Kelly interview, it always does pretty well. Um. Yeah. This and what? What do you think? G one finals? Maybe not in the past couple of years though. That's for sure. Um. But yeah. Mid year. This used to be a big one. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I mean, look, it's it's great to have buzz again for this product. It's fantastic. Feels good because uh, yeah. I mean, we say it all the time, but the, you know, felt like the light. Final, like we always say, oh, the lights at the end of the tunnel. We just, just got to hang in, and we just got to. But and and I felt like this was a definitive uh, step into the into the into the spotlight, the sunshine, if you will, the pot at the end of the rainbow. We are Scrooge McDuck in the pot right now. So, um, and for what I understand, decent financial numbers as well, right, for New Japan. So, hey, look. You can't complain about much right now. You've got to be pretty happy. Well, the game's up for us, David, because as everyone knows, we spent the last three years just pretending that New Japan <laughs> was good and enjoyable. So what are we going to do now that it's actually receiving this widespread critical acclaim? Right. Uh, I mean, we can continue doing okay. what we do, but yeah. It does. The suggestion here from Steel O'Neill says, fuck the wrestling off and just talk about food for an hour. It's so oh, good. I like oh, that idea. Me too. I tell you what, remember we were we were talking about doing something completely different and, and food was probably the number one hit. Um that in like porno ratings, I guess. Uh porno. <laughs> porno. Well Boo, Booze's friend has uh, got that quarter of the market. Oh comments. my god. What a job that that guy has. I mean just I mean, how do you get that I guess you know you know what? I guess you kind of start like us. And you just kind of do it because you like it. And then another person hears it and likes it and it just catches on. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, I know though. What a, what a job that is. Christ almighty. And how do you rate, like what would be, well, I guess you could easily rate pornography, right? You could easily, right? I mean, your I would think your genitalia give you your school, your stars, right? You know? Uh, yeah. Okay. So, what what would the criteria be? We're going like psychology, storytelling. No, I don't want story. Bumping, <laughs> bumping, definitely. We need work rate. Work rate is very important. Uh, Mike skills, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> um. Uh. I, here's the thing too. I don't think I like. I like video. I like it shot on video as opposed to shot because it seems a little bit dirtier. I don't know uh, than like film. Like I don't want to. I don't want like an art noir piece. I don't give a. F- I want. I want to see some nasty shit. Um, yeah, I think. I think how it's shot is important. I don't need a story. Uh, I just need the general theme, right? So if we're gonna go, you know, whatever. You know. I don't think anybody's looking for a plot. Let's put a fucking now. You got your dick in your hand. I accidentally got stuck in the washing machine. That's as simple as it can get. And, you know, and I think it's something all people can understand. You know? <laughs> yeah, I hate when that happens. Right. Everybody can relate with this. And then and then it's there and it's like, well, okay, well, I got to fuck it. You know? Oh, geez. Uh, yep. This is the Super J cast. <laughs> Have you ever have you ever tried uh, audio erotica, David? No, but I thought I might want to. I thought, it, it, yeah, I might like that because I do like because I think it's an important thing too, like the um, literally the acting of the performance. Yeah, so I like I do like the sound. Like, what is it? Just like a bed squeaking, and <laughs> moaning, and all that shit. We should and get. Then- uh- you know, Gino Gambino to <laughs> narrate <some> erotica. <laughs> that would be and something. Then she tore his pants down. <laughs> <laughs> Let me see those cans. <laughs> oh, how terrible. How terrible. Now, a great moment in, in New Japan history we're coming off of, and look at us. We've, Just, it. We've already run off all the new listeners. Yeah. Yeah, they probably already do. Off the old ones. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think we have three at this point right now. Uh, all right. Well, look, we can go wherever you want to go, but I'm assuming that uh, Wrestle Kingdom will be a uh, hot topic here today. Yes. Uh, well, at first, just a little bit of housekeeping because we still haven't done our award show running oh, a bit yeah. late this year. We need to decide, like, next week. what should the deadline be? Like, will we cover it in next week's podcast? Because... I don't think there's any shows to review. Right. So th- yeah. do it next week? Yeah. So if you don't have your votes in by uh, Friday. Friday. Yep. Friday's your day. Because then we got to tally all this shit up. Um, Friday's we? it. <laughs> well, you, <laughs> you, <clears throat> don't recall you tallying anything. <laughs> I don't tally shit. Um so to for Joel to tally, um, is Friday good? I think Friday's the last day, right? Friday, right? Yeah, do Friday. Right. And then we'll do the awards show or, uh, my God, how many years, five years have we done this? Many years, a lot of years. Uh, the most important awards, as we all well know. And, uh, yeah, it's just, uh, just a fucking, 
house party we got going on here. Absolutely. Let's go straight into Wrestle Kingdom then. Um, just my overwhelming feeling watching the show was, you touched on it, we're back. You know, it felt like a Wrestle Kingdom. It looked like a Wrestle Kingdom. It sounded like a Wrestle Kingdom. The crowd were good. Commentary, fantastic. Uh, Aramitha says, can we hear your best Gino Gambino impression to celebrate him being back? I mean, you've heard it already in a, a very sexy context. Uh, but yeah, wonderful to have him back at the table. Just the whole ambience, the, the, the feel, the aesthetic, it feels like we're back, doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. And I will say this, one of the, one of the bonuses of, and I, I, I guess it would have happened anyway, but man, like, the the new video production, um, the screens and uh, in in to, in the Tokyo Dome, they, they were pretty fucking amazing. Yeah, it felt. I don't think there was anything missing. You know what I mean? Like in past years, obviously, crowds cheering was a huge factor, and even the amount of people. And it just felt like you know, guys were going out there and having great matches, and just in a complete fucking vacuum. Um, and and again, it's, it's everything that we've talked about with clap crowds. Uh, but in the end, like it's night and day, <laughs> it's just such night and day. Um, I thought the show, uh, even though I woke up at one o'clock in the fucking morning, dragged my sorry ass down here to do this. Uh, we opened up the discord. That was a kind of a spur of the moment thing. And, uh, that show flew. I, I, I really felt like that show and what it got over at what? five six in the morning um for me so yeah but yeah it was it was it was i thought it went by nothing dragged nothing not, there was at no point was i sitting there like uh, well maybe at the main event <laughs> but but um yeah i, I thought the, the show was was outstanding yeah agreed um i think that's reflected in the numbers that have come out of this. We've got the attendance uh, 26,085, so a very similar level to Wrestle Kingdom 10, Wrestle Kingdom 11, which is before the big recent boom period, but still, I think, a pretty respectable number. I think the company would have liked 30, but I think they'll be happy with 26. And you know, keep in mind, for context, that's only 4,000 fewer than they got for night two of Wrestle Kingdom 14, but we right. had that huge Okada versus Naito uh, blow-off match at the end of the double gold dash which was pre-pandemic. And of course, that was the second night of, of Wrestle Kingdom, but still, it's worth keeping in mind. So Matt says, New Japan seem very happy with the attendance, but the numbers were way down on pre-COVID levels where there's still restrictions in place. I don't believe there were any restrictions. I mean, there was the little caveat about not being able to do very, very long charts or songs, but that just was a non-factor in the end, as, as we said it would be. But uh, Evan Denny says, W says they got 92,409 unique viewers, 30% foreign. It's an all-time record for New Japan World. So, yeah, a huge worldwide success for them. Uh, we hear whispers of something along the lines of 40,000 new subscriptions. Wow. So, all things considered, I mean, it's an absolute home run by by all metrics, but... The hard work starts now. I mean, you got to do everything you can to keep them there. It's one thing bring them to the table, but making sure they stick around. That's the real challenge. Yeah, it is. And we've said it, you know, that this company sometimes has trouble with that kind of, at least in recent years. And again, there are a lot of factors that go into that, but keeping that momentum and keeping that um, feeling of 
buzzworthiness and keeping that feeling of okay, I got to check out this next show and I got to I got to make sure you know it's 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 on my calendar. The two, I mean, for us, we're watching everything, uh, but to have those extra people come in and you know let's have that credit card get hit another month and another month. That's that's the important thing to do at this point. That's they got to keep their eye on the prize. And I'll go so far as to say that they have things set up post Wrestle Kingdom that are to, at least to me very interesting um and very um like it feels like some thought went into that. It it felt like <clears throat> that we had a great show that helped build and and Dash does this too helps build to the future and i think in the past it felt like it was maybe not that much it was let's just get through this event whereas this wrestle kingdom felt like we're going to put on a great show we're going to put an exclamation point on some of these feuds but we're also going to you know have little teases and nuggets and 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 changes to keep people you know on board yeah because i mean we'll talk about new year dash later but in recent years it's felt like it's been a bit flat everyone's been sitting around waiting for exciting new angles to whet our appetite and, and keep us watching for the january tour whatever that may be and I think this year they've really delivered on that. But uh, we will get there in good time. Let's start off with the opening match number one, which was a three-minute time limit exhibition match where Ryohei Oiwa and Bolton Oleg drew after three minutes, a timeout draw. So I think just by looking at the, the timing, the venue of this, the presentation of Oleg Bolton, they have high hopes for this guy. Like This is not just a regular young lad. He came out with his singlet. He looks the part. He looks like a monster. He's fluent in Japanese. I don't know if anyone watched the backstage comments, but uh, he is absolutely adept at speaking the language. And this is a huge spot to give a guy his debut. I mean, can you think of any other young lads who were given their debut at the Tokyo Dome? It's, it's pretty much unheard of. But the fact that they singled him out and are presenting him differently, he's got all the skills, all the tools in his box to be a big star for this company. I mean, whether or not it will turn out to be, it's impossible to say because there are so many... Uh, moving parts and so many unknown factors, but certainly a promising start at the very least. Yeah, on paper, it, it sounds like a slam dunk. I mean, I don't know if we can gather that from his three-minute exhibition, right? And I mean, but I think the resume, the CV, if you will, uh, has, you know, everything that you're looking for. You know, he's not young either. I mean, he's not like he's 19, He's, he's like in his late or late twenties, early thirties. If I'm wrong, I'm wrong. Yeah, he's thirty years old, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm not saying that the fucking clock is ticking hard, but yeah, they got to shit or get off the pot with this guy. I mean, we we can't go through the normal tropes of young lioness. Um, we're gonna we're gonna we're baptism by fire, I guess. Stick them in. I don't know about that because I think a lot of it is not so much age as mileage because, you know, if you've got a wrestler who started there, look at Joshi, for example, they start when they're young teens and then you often get them retiring when they're in their early 20s. So if this guy hasn't actually started taking serious bumps and working on the road and having that sort of physical and emotional wear and tear that goes with being a professional wrestler, then I don't think that age is too much of a factor, really. Well, I, I'm going to disagree only in the sense that uh, when you 
when you add age to everything that you just said, that recovery time and all of that doubles, right? And in some cases, as you get older, triples. Um, I mean, a young body who is fit and maybe is able to not only take a little bit more punishment, but uh, you know, recover quicker. So that would be my only concern. David, that's what steroids are for. Oh, my bad. <laughs> right, right, right. Get on the gas, my friends. Get on the gas. Um, All right. God, I'm sorry. All right, let's move on then. Uh, opening match number two is the KPW 2023 right to challenge New Japan Rambo. So we had a lot of guys in there who people were surprised that not being included on the main card. So we had uh, the winners were Great Okada, Shingo Takaki, Sho, and Toriano. Defeated Aaron Hanare, Doki, El Fantasmo, Evil, Hikaleo, Jeff Cobb, Kenta, Mikey Nichols, Rocky Romero, Ryusuke Taguchi, Shane Haste, Taichi, Tomohiro Ishii, Yoshinobu Kanemaru, Yudro Takahashi. Match went 30 minutes, 37 seconds. Uh, SM Law says, why aren't we all talking about Hikolo immediately eliminating himself from Rambo? I mean, Hinari was talking about that. It did happen. Referees didn't catch it, but uh, yeah, maybe we need some VAR for the Rambo. Uh, also worth pointing out, the first official elimination was evil. So, mm. you know, we got the, the crowds back, the cheering's back, people are watching and look where they have placed House of Torture. So that tells you quite a lot. Uh, I particularly enjoyed Kenta's power walk into the ring. But, you know, aside from that, there weren't really any surprises, no nostalgia acts, uh, no, you know, people surprises coming from abroad. And, yeah, it was just a whole lot of nothing, really. I don't think there's anything that stood out about this. Yeah, I mean, the biggest things are were the names that you mentioned. You know, not that anything spectacular happened while they were in there, but it was just the fact that, there are a ton of names that, you know, they they go out. They but do. You, the, you could make a really good card out of those guys just in the Rambo. No doubt. And you know what sucks though? It's like okay, maybe it's an easy payday. Maybe it's a, um, you know, I, whatever you want to think of, of how long they need to be in a Rumble. Um, a lot of those people that were in that Rumble were people that have been through the entire mud of the past three years. And I don't know. I kind of felt bad for them in the sense of, you know, these guys were there putting in the effort and putting in on the shows and, and trying their best to work in, in a pandemic situation. And this is what all that hard work paid off to, <laughs> you know, in, in a show that is super put now again, we talked about it a million times. You know, it, it's good that they didn't just shoehorn matches just to shoehorn in matches. They were they stuck to their guns. This is the show. I'm sorry, we're sticking in the Rambo, but this is the show. Uh but again, in the same breath, you know, Shingo and even like you know, Hegaleo and guys that have I felt done a lot in the past three years, um, not really getting a reward or maybe they did get a reward by working, you know, five minutes in a fucking Royal rumble ish situation. Maybe they're the real winners. Yeah. I'm surprised that none of them appeared on dynamite. There were some whispers that, uh, the people not involved might be flying over to the, uh, Wednesday show for that. So, if nothing else, I suppose this Rambo illustrates the depth of the New Japan roster. They've got a lot of toys to play with this year. So 
I'm sure they'll make full use of that roster, but yeah, there's uh, certainly plenty of talent at their disposal. Uh, Boo says, as a resident strong missionary, how disappointed are you that none of the regulars didn't even get a sniff at the Rambo? I mean, I can't really complain about that when you look at this list of names. You know, these are regulars in Japan. So if these guys, I, I was not watching this Rambo thinking, oh, I wish there were more people in it. Right. And you couldn't have put some strong guys in there at the expense of anyone else here. So, no, I don't have any complaints about that at all, actually. And we did get some breaking news about New Japan Strong from a friend of the show, Manabu, who has been reading Hiroshi Tanahashi's blog. And Tanahashi says that New Japan Strong is going to be finishing. He says that this recording of commentary is the last one for New Japan Strong. And the New Japan show in the US will be changed. Don't wow. your thoughts on this. Um, I'm actually kind of shocked by it. Um, I'm, I'm, I mean, maybe they just want everybody under one roof. Um, maybe they, maybe it's a cost cutting thing. Maybe it's, I don't know. Maybe, maybe they're not happy with the, I don't know. I don't know. I think it's odd to just throw in the towel after what? You know, again, what three years? Two three years? years? Yeah. This, that seems very odd, very weird. Um, it's easy programming. It's it's an easy live gate. But I don't know. I I I, I think that is if it's true, if it's accurate, and why why would he say it if it wasn't? I don't know. It seems a little disappointing. I don't see why. Why? Why? <laughs> Give me a reason why. Think, Tell me why. Anything to do with uh, Ring of Honor? Do you think they're maybe getting into bed with Tony Khan and merging it with that? I think a a combination, a, a combining of talents and a combining of, of that is probably the most logical reason um because i think collectively if they can work together they that would be a a nice powerful mini brand for everybody right that that you know combining forces and combining resources and all that uh so yeah i mean that would be the only thing that i can think of that would be uh, a solid reason why yeah, very interesting. Uh, it will be certainly an end of an era with no New Japan Strong. We'll have to get rid of the Strong Log, which I know is all our listeners' favourite part of the show. Uh, Fine. We will have to move on <laughs> to the uh, next match, which was the uh, opening match three, the Antonio Inoki Memorial Six-Man Tag Match. So this is Yuji Nagata, Satoshi Kojima, and Tony Makabe defeating Tiger Mask, Minoru Suzuki, and Tatsumi Fujinami. So Makabe pinned Tiger Mask after 9 minutes, 10 seconds. It's just this pinfall here because Makabe, man, I mean, I know he has not wrestled much. And the ring rust is real, but he completely fucked up the finish of this match. Uh, I think he should really be thinking about calling a day this year. And I suspect he won't be the only one. Real shocking here that they didn't do any Kaze Ninare. That they all came out to the Fujinami theme and right. that gave this cheering crowd back at Tokyo Dome that they did let Suzuki have that. But uh, Fujinami, man, it's just incredible shape for a guy in his 70s. And it's interesting to hear that they're going to be making a, a movie about Antonio Noki. I mean, the, the match was fine. Nothing to write home about. I was more interested in the backstage comments where all the dads are sharing their memories of Inoki. And they're all really horrible things, like talking about him walking around with a stick, hitting people who didn't you know, perform at the level he wanted and yeah. him 
publicly berating people for you know poor attitude and you know none of them had any like pleasant nice things that he did so uh yeah that was a uh, quite interesting uh, shall we say yeah if you're if you you know were attempting to be a star during that time period yeah it, it was a, it, it was a different different time uh and uh i, I would say in m- most likelihood you probably wouldn't be able to get away with a lot of the nonsense. Uh, the discipline, um, the di- or excuse me, the, the disciplinary uh, actions um, for for some of these guys. But yeah, I mean... And, and also, sorry, uh, asking Yuji Nagata of all people to share memories of Antonio Noki, who's probably the man <laughs> single-handedly responsible for sabotaging Nagata's career. By, uh, for those who don't know, making him have uh, shoot MMA fights against two of the best heavyweights on the planet in the form of Mirko Krokop and Fedor Emelianenko. Yeah. <laughs> so he's probably still a bit salty about that. I would be. Yeah, you think so? You think so? I mean... And this is a time when you, you, you know, uh, Nagata was, you know, he was one of, if not the top guy in the company at the time. And yeah, he just got fucking fed to the wolves. And, and you know, and, and I hate to say it, exposed, right? Um, and again, the people kind of, I don't know, it, it didn't cast him in a very good light for, his remaining years on top because just of those fights and just to put him in there, you know, two of the best heavyweights of all time in, in MMA. It's not going to end well. But like, what is he? Th- that only was he hoping for. And here's the thing. Anoki always was fascinated with blending in all various disciplines of mixed martial arts and martial arts and, but he uh, he just had this fucking fascination with putting his guys in weird spots and, and that they didn't have any control over. Yet he spent his entire career putting himself in those situations. The only difference is, is that he could control those situations. You know what I mean? So just fucking uh, – <laughs> <I feel, laughs> look, <clears throat> when the book is written on – Everything. When Chris Charlton gets done that fucking Anoki book, here's a hint for you, Chris. Here's a, there's a, there's a little nudge for you to work on this summer. Um, that's going to be a good read. That's going to be, that's going, that is going to be a fucking crazy read. No doubt. And there's already a book out of just, just a full book on the Anoki Ali fight. Um, that is really great. I highly recommend it. Um, go out of your way to read it because it is, it is a very good read. Um, but that's, I mean, that, that just that element of, of, of Antonio Noki's career is a fucking book. Imagine the rest of the timeline. <laughs> you know what I mean? Look, we did do an Antonio Noki retrospective podcast. There you go. We've done it. We've had to squeeze it in there. And that's, that's the best you're going to get. All right. Uh, main card then. So first match was the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Tag Team Championship match where the champions catch 2-2. Francesco Acura and TJP defeat the challengers and the Super Junior Tag League winners, Leo Rush and Yo, in 10 minutes, 29 seconds. So TJP pins Yo with a necklock, which came out of nowhere. And I suppose the 
big event for this match was Leo Rush getting fucked up. I mean, they, he got his face smashed into the ramp. Yeah. And something must have gone wrong then because he was in a bad state at the end of this. And the injury is so bad that he's actually missing the uh, Battle of Los Angeles. So we hope he gets better soon. That was really unfortunate. Although him being covered in blood did make him look like a badass and did really contribute an extra layer of drama to the match. And I love this match. I mean, for 10 minutes, this is exactly what you want. Just the perfect way to open a show like Wrestle Kingdom. And credit to whoever is booking this division, taking this bunch of misfits and moulding them into the hottest junior tag match since, what, Wrestle Kingdom 12, since Roboggy 3K versus the Young Bucks. And I thought it was pretty cool that TJP got the win here because it's a nice feather in his cap. I think he's a really underappreciated member of the roster and he's done a great deal of good work uh, both in Japan and on New Japan Strong. And it was a really nice story with all you know these spectacular high spots and the match ends with an inside cradle that nobody saw coming. I mean, you expected a big tag move finisher, but you didn't get it. So it was TJP using the smarts of his experience, uh, which in a very believable way. And I think Catch Due to deserve the Tokyo Dome win. They deserve to keep the belts because they are tremendous. They are the aces of the junior tag division. And, you know, given that Yo is going for singles gold, it may be well before we see Yo and Leo Rush team up again. So, fantastic opener. Yeah. Um, just like you said, it's exactly what you want for an opener. <clears throat> yeah, and I think that uh, if there is any disappointment is that, yeah, it looks like that tag team is uh, going to be put on the shelf for a while. Uh, and I really like them a lot. I thought... Once again, you know, new life was breathed into Yo, who desperately needed it. Um, and it, and I thought they worked well. I thought they, the team looked good. I thought the team um, was solid. Like I like I liked the dynamic between the two. I thought they worked really. They had very good chemistry. I I, I was a bit disappointed, um, knowing that that's pretty much it for that tag team. So, um. But yeah, look, the match was fucking exactly what we wanted. Crazy, you know, car crashy, big time flying moves. <laughs> then a finish that came uh, and surprised everyone. Um, no one expected that. So I thought that was a, a nice little touch too as well. Very good. Second match was the IWGP Women's Championship match where the champion Kyrie successfully defended against the challenger Tam Nakano in 5 minutes 47 seconds following the insane elbow. Uh, I was looking at Tam Nakano's outfit wondering if she was my Jewish sister from another mister because uh, they look like what appeared to be stars of David all over again. But I looked up and these are actually Kagome crests which are sort of warding off uh, evil spirits. But uh, cool outfit anyway, Tam Nakano, even though you didn't win. Kyrie entrance was fantastic. One of the best on the whole show. She just looked like a huge star. Entrance music is great. Outfit's great. Ent- the whole aesthetics of it was wonderful. But this match was really short. There's no getting away from it. And if the goal is for people like me to watch this stuff and think, wow, this is great wrestling. I want to watch some stardom. Then purely on that metric, it's a miss. So we'll talk about the Mercedes Monet thing afterwards. But what did you think of just the match itself? Uh, yeah, I, I felt like it was a shame that, you know, five minutes we have, a, we have a, I, we have tons of stuff that they had to squeeze into a five pound bag, but yeah, I mean, five minutes, correct me if I'm wrong. It's like everybody else got more time, right? I don't think there was a match that went under that, right? Um, 
And no, you're right. Correct. Yeah, and you're right. You want look. Here's what it felt like. Unfortunately, it felt like everyone was waiting for a match to get done, so an angle could occur. And when I say everyone, I mean people at home. People kind of knew the big spot was somebody walking down the aisle, um, and that kind of sucks. And it puts them in a weird position, you know. Five minutes, get you know, get as much as you can in, but n- know that five minutes is your limit, and because we got to run this fucking angle, so um, yeah, it's uh, but they, it's a little disappointing, but I mean, plenty of eyeballs on the product, that's for sure. Sure. And then, of course, we did get the debut of Mercedes Monet, the artist formerly known as Sasha Banks. I thought she looked really cool. I know the outfit was very busy and a lot of people had opinions uh, on that. I thought she looked great. The move that she did on Kairi was very weird. I don't know if it was a botch, but I watched it a few times. Still couldn't quite figure out what she was going for. Promo wasn't great, but who cares? I mean, I've seen so much stuff online. Oh, she fucked up her debut, blah, 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 blah. I'm not as upset by this as others. I don't think it's going to make the slightest bit of difference. She will be absolutely fine. So, I mean, the match against Kyrie is official for Battle in the Valley, and those tickets are selling like hotcakes, and they are expensive. I mean, they have definitely pumped up the price of those since, but there's very few of them left. So, looking at the metrics for people that signed up for New Japan World and how these tickets are selling, so far, so good for Mercedes Monet. Yeah, it's definitely a sizable and noticeable uh, impact. The oh, I don't even know what the, what the price tag is for her to be brought in, but they have to feel that they're able to at least recoup whatever that is. And from the sounds of it, I mean, it, it, it it's it's a solid investment. It's an absolutely solid investment. Now, again, there's all kinds of shit going around of her not going to AEW and her signing with New Japan and not necessarily stardom and all. I don't don't know how it's going to pan itself out, but it's undeniable that she helped make this a huge success and yes i think look the outfit i'm, I'm not gonna curse an outfit who cares um uh, it wasn't my cup of tea but okay I, she could have shown up in a fucking trash bag and it wouldn't have mattered you know um it's she she brought it and and i think hopefully it's not a quick hit when it comes to this i hope i hope that this is you know at least a couple of months and not just we're popping one house and she's back to the fed you know um so fingers crossed that's that's my only concern is the price tag how many dates how many how many uh shows will she be on uh and her involvement in and hopefully it's just not I'm in, get my money, and I'm out the door. Uh, Aaron Wright says, do you think the lack of Kyrie, Mercedes, etc. at New Year Dash is indicative of the IWGP women's title already being an afterthought as far as New Japan is concerned? How often do you actually think the belt will be featured on New Japan shows within Japan? Uh, no, I don't need to see that, and I don't need to see Mercedes Monet, her dates being wasted on New Year Dash. 
uh, whether or not it's Mercedes Monet, whoever is involved in this IWGP women's title, the intention, as far as I understand it, is that it is defended on the high profile that A shows for New Japan. So things like your Wrestle Kingdom, uh, your big shows in the US, Dominions, things like that. So I think, you know, if I had to put a number on it, maybe what we said, maybe five or six defenses in a calendar year. Yeah. Yeah, I would say in that in that ballpark, right? It's not going to be on a you know road two show in you know Nagoya. Um, but but that's being said, you do want to keep it in people's you know front and center, and and the company does do a terrible job. New Japan stardom, I don't know, but New Japan does a terrible job of that of giving someone you know. An, an opportunity, and, and then, that, then that belt cools off because they got their mind focused on I don't know whatever the fucking belt of the day is this season. So uh, that's my only hope is that that five is enough to, to keep it. I think it's look if you do five, you are you you do have the opportunity to make these matches special. That being said, you can't have them be five minute matches. Right, you know, like we need to have a twenty-minute match, maybe even a thirty-minute match, um, to to not only make this scarcity of defenses make it seem important, but also, okay, when these matches occur, we know we're going to get a banger of a pro wrestling match. Yeah, absolutely agree. Uh, third match then was the IWGP Tag Team Championship match with the challengers, the winners of the World Tag League, Yoshihashi and Hiroki Goto, the team of Bishamon, defeating the champions, FTR Cash Wheeler and Dax Harwood in 10 minutes, 10 seconds. We got it, David. Yoshihashi pinning Dax Harwood. That's what we all wanted. <laughs> this was a, a great contrast to the junior tag match, which was, you know, high-flying, top-speed athleticism. This was just grumpy, beefy dudes beating each other up and that. They beat the shit out of each other, and it was wonderful. Yep. Just there are some moments like the Yoshihashi uh, Cash apron suplex spot. Just incredible stuff. Great creativity. I bit on all the false finishes. The crowd loved it. And again, this is exactly what I want from a heavyweight tag match at Wrestle Kingdom. You know, you save the 30-minute epics for smaller shows. Do things like your Royal Quest. The Tokyo Dome, I want 10 minutes of heavyweights having a fucking fight. And that's what we got. And... As I said, Yoshihashi pinning Dax Harwood, which was extremely funny. You could tell from this, the second FTR walked out uh, behind the curtain, they had the boo-boo face on. But uh, I, I mean, I will say Cash Wheeler really impressed me uh, throughout this New Japan run, actually. I think he's the one who stood out. I know Dax Harwood is getting all the plaudits, but I think Cash has really looked fantastic. So I do want to say well done to FTR. I do hope we see them again, because I think they've delivered every single time they have appeared in the New Japan ring. And I'm glad we got them and not just the Young Bucks again, just for the sake of variety. I mean, I love the Young Bucks. I think they're brilliant. I would love to see them in New Japan again, but it was great to see some fresh faces in the New Japan tag division. And they put so much thought and care into their work. Just the little details, like at the finish, uh, Dax's spit flying out of his mouth when Yoshihashi kicked him in the face. Uh, yeah, I, I love this match. I thought it was tremendous. I like Yoshihashi directing traffic, you know, barking at Goto to get into place. That was really cool. Uh, and more to the point, you know, throw flowers at FTR. Let's put some respect on the name of Bishamon, uh, as the PWI have finally managed to do. They have evolved from two directionless mid-carders into a pair of 
grumpy veteran ass kickers. They're a mean pair of bastards, David. They hit hard. It brings me a bit of satisfaction to see yet again Yoshihashi shining in a high-profile match at the Tokyo Dome. And we need to stop hand-waving these guys because they're a legit quality tag team. I don't know if they're going to be holding the tag titles for any great length of time, but thumbs up to both teams involved here. Thousand percent. I agree with everything you say. Um, I, I want more FTR in my life. Um, especially in a new Japan ring. If, if, however, we need to make that happen, let's make that happen because I think it's no matter how you slice it, it is a net positive having them in a ring, uh, for new Japan. Uh, Goto and Yoshihashi. Look, as, as I don't want to say unsexy a choice when it came to world tag league. I think everybody was kind of, looking for other options. And I think people get disappointed with that when, when the other options don't hit. Um, and it's a true, reliable, and even, you know, to a certain degree, a fresh coat of paint on two guys that desperately need a fresh coat of paint. Um, who have, who have performed quite honestly in big spots, outstanding. You know what I mean? Like in a big spot, that tag team can fucking deliver. And they did again. Um, so yes, when you get into your fantasy booking mindset, of course, it's not the sexiest thought of having Goto and Yoshihashi fighting for your tag titles. But at the end of the day, what a fucking solid choice. And dare I say, dare I say, uh, and I will, I will take the big fat fucking L and you can stick it right on my forehead. Uh, the, the, that was the right choice. That was the right choice. And, uh, I'm, I'm kind of shocked to be as into them after this match as I am. Uh, but yeah, sometimes you just have to come to the realization that, yep, that what you're looking at is good. And as much as you want to swim upstream against that, that's good. You got to you got to acknowledge it. And uh like I said I think New Japan made a really solid choice here. Right, that's my first big dub of the night then because I've been banging the drum for for Bishamon for a while. So glad that they uh proved me correct this time. Uh, MBTL OUSC says what's next for FTR and NJPW? Uh, more to the point, I know he's an Oxford United fan. They got a FA Cup match against Arsenal coming up next week so uh, that's going to be an interesting one but uh, FTR in New Japan I don't know I don't know if they're going to be going back to WWE or what I have no idea what is up with them I hope they do come back to New Japan but it's just so difficult to tell everything is in flux with the state of US wrestling at the moment all the drama that has happened in AEW particularly surrounding FTR and Punk and the Bucks and all those guys and all the shenanigans going on at WWE it's impossible to say uh, but, you know, gun to your heads, do you think we'll see FTR again in New Japan this year? Uh, yes. Yes. How about that? I'll go yes. Um, it, it, it's going to be... Right now might be the weirdest flux time when it comes to U.S. pro wrestling. Uh, which has ramifications to other promotions around the world. Uh, but I'll say yes, because I know even though things weren't announced, which is 
kind of disappointing, right? Usually during Tokyo Dome shows, you get the list of, um, uh, you know, the future shows during the year. Um, I'm sure they have big plans. Let's put it that way. Big plans. So having them on that card, that might be a, that might be a good move. Fourth match was the 50-minute time and a bit NJPW World TV Championship Tournament Final, where Zack Sabre Jr. defeated Red Narita in 10 minutes, 32 seconds via arm lock cross hold. So we got a bit of everything here. We got lots of grappling. We got lots of uh, quote-unquote strong style striking, kicking each other in the chest and the back. And then the finish was very MMA. I like the, the flash armbar finish. It's been well built up by Zack in 2022. He's caught out quite a few people that way. And it's an interesting contrast to the usual sort of submission job you get in professional wrestling with guys stuck in the hole for ages and pulling faces and agonizing and trying to get to the ropes. This is, no, I've got to tap out or this guy's going to pop my elbow out of its socket. So I like that. I like sort of mixing it up with the, the realistic, more sort of shoot style inspiration there. And yeah, what did you think of the match? I liked it. I liked it. I, 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 and I've liked everything from that tournament. Um, and that 15 minute time limit definitely helps and it does create a pace and a, and a, and a speed that is, you know, you, you're, you're not fucking about. Um, were you surprised with Jack winning it? No, I mean, I was just going to say about that. I said on our preview that a lot of people are thinking that this is just a red narrative title, but I said, I, I thought there was no wrong option as far as the outcome goes. And it makes sense when you see, what they did with Zach afterwards with uh, TMDK, Mikey Nichols and Shane Hayes coming out and Zach joining them. I've been talking about last year how Zach Sabre Jr. has bulked up. He's improved his Japanese. He, you know, he's got his nice new hair color now. And I was wondering what that was in aid of. And now we know he's been being groomed to lead his own faction. And yeah, this, this is the reason. He's the front man now. And I think it's a really good fit because these guys, they've got history together in Noah and Zach is a guy who could not only, you know, he's a, a, a star in New Japan. He's a, a established figure. He's won multiple New Japan Cups. The, the fans know who he is. And I think he's the perfect guy to not only get over TMDK and establish them as a, a force in New Japan, but also establish the TV title. I think he's a really good guy to fit in with this uh, dynamic of the 50-minute time limit. He's a guy who can do those sprint-style matches really, really effectively. So, Red, his time will come. He will be absolutely fine. But I think when you consider everything that happened after the match as well, I think Zach is a, an excellent choice for being the first champion. Yeah. And I know what I like, too. I like the fact that it feels like the, uh, there was a commitment on New Japan's part for Zach. You know, to have him not only win this title, win this uh, you know, tournament, um, now leading a faction, he's, as you called it, the front guy. Uh, I mean, that just shows additional commitment to a guy who is a top player and vice versa. You know, him really, I mean, he's been living there for quite a long time and learning the language. And yeah, I, I mean, I, I like the, I like it on both ends, the commitment. Um, but I think New Japan really look. You're a leader of a fucking faction. I mean that you, you can't hand wave that. That's that's a that's a spotlight, a very bright spotlight. Um, he gets his first t- uh, you know singles title win. I don't know. Feels like uh, 
Feels like they're going to be doing a lot with Zach, which is always good. Always good. And he's calling out what? For the nurses, uh, the fair pay, right? <laughs> like never think everybody. Yeah, yeah, a- called out Rishi Sunak for that. But David, he hasn't logged into Twitter.com for a long time. So does that invalidate all of his achievements so far? <laughs> why, 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 why? No, stop. I no. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Just please. Oh, I haven't logged in either. What do you think of that? Right, you're cancelled, mate. Okay, the fifth match is the Never Openweight Championship match where the challenger Tamatonga defeated the champion at Machine Gun Carl Anderson in 9 minutes 36 seconds with the gun stun, or kind of a gun stun. Uh, Louis says, how many Carl Anderson shirts are in your pro wrestling tease basket after that Tamatonga Never Openweight title match? David, did you see the star rating that Dave Meltzer gave this match? I did. I did. I was kind of surprised. I thought he... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I I thought... There was a real good possibility you were purchasing a T-shirt. Um, and again, when we were talking in our in our Discord, um, you know, I was saying that is a. You now I thought that was like a three and a half, close to four. Like you could you you could make an argument of him putting out a four. Um, obviously, I'll tell you, if, if if he could bump for, properly for his own finishing move, then I would have given it a four personally. But uh, that. <laughs> Was a quite a significant botch. And what was a, apart from that a very very I, good match? Yeah, they worked really hard. I th- I think so too. Um, but yeah, what, what did he give it? Two two and a half or two and <laughs> wow, he didn't even break yeah, the two, three. Two and three quarters. He didn't even break the three. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, I, and I don't think it was that bad. I don't think that was that bad. Um, but look, look, uh. Correct me if I'm wrong. Aren't we hearing whispers about uh, Hikaleo's interest or, or interest in Hikaleo? Yes. Yeah, we will get onto that later when okay. we talk about Dash. But yes, that's in the pipelines. Okay. Um, I mean, not for nothing, but I've been pounding that fucking drum for for years that that this guy is tailor made <laughs> for 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 uh, Vince. Vince fucking. Beats off to Hikaleo, I bet. Ugh, that's gross. Ah, sorry, Hikaleo. <laughs> sorry, don't, don't mean to put that in your head. Uh, but yeah, you, I mean, it does, uh, does seem that way. It seems like the boat's going that way. All right, uh, next match, please. Well, I just wanted to say fair play to Carl Anderson because he did, he, he had his working boots on and I thought he delivered, he, he exceeded by admittedly low expectations for this match. And I thought the post match stuff was really heartwarming because Carl Anderson came out and congratulate Tamatonga because of course they got a lot of history together as the uh, Bullet Club OGs and Tamatonga had his daughter there and his daughter was saying that she still doesn't forgive Carl Anderson yet which is very funny so they reconciled and uh, so something Joe Lanza was talking about actually you can tell with pro wrestlers when they really when it means something to them when they get emotional by looking at their eyes because they, they they drop the act of the work and you can just see it in their eyes that that, that real emotion is speaking through so he Tamatonga Carl Anderson obviously got a lot of fondness for each other and yeah, I thought they, they, they did a pretty good job here, all things considered. Uh, ben says, can Tama bring back the excitement that the Never title used to have? I mean, to be honest, he's been given short shrift here when he was Never champion. I mean, I thought the match where he got it from Evil was really, really exciting. And then after that, it was just Carl Anderson again in a match, which was good, but not great. So let's give Tamatonga some you know proper hardworking guys to showcase what he can do. Because I think he's got all the tools to be... Uh, a perfectly credible and exciting never openweight champion. 
Yeah, yeah. Let's give him something that he, that he can sink his teeth into, and then, then we like he's one guy that constantly you're you're like it's it it's it's absolutely there, but you're a little unsure if he gets the right opportunities, right? Or you know, he, you know, if, if it feels like the he has to always constantly climb uphill. Especially when it comes to like programs and people he, he's in the ring with and all that stuff. So yeah, I hope it's going to be a, a, a decent time with it because I think, I think it's, it's, it's important if we are ones to evaluate a career. Um, like this is an important step for him because, um, we're still kind of trying to figure out who he is and what he is and, and what he can become. Uh, like this, this, I think this reign is going to be vital for him to show that. Yeah. And he's really done a terrific job over the past 12 months or so getting himself over to baby face. The fans love him. He's emoting really well. Like you can see how passionate he is and how much it means for him. He's got himself into absolutely spectacular physical conditions. So yeah, let's see a bit more from this run. Please not a one and done like we had last time. Uh, let's move on then to the sixth match, which was Keiji Muto's last match in New Japan, where the team of Shota Umino, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Keiji Muto defeated LIJ team of Bushi, Sanada, and Naito. And as expected, it was Shota Umino pinning Bushi after 9 minutes 20 seconds with the Death Rider. And whilst this was celebrated as Keiji Muto's last match, I think it was quite rightly, equally, if not more so, a showcase for Shota Umino to get over him and his upcoming feud with Tetsuya Naito. But I will say the Keiji Muto bits were extremely funny, and it was just fascinating, not only watching the match, but the post-match and the backstage stuff that Hiroshi Tanahashi has been put in there, not just for the sort of generational, you know, past, present, future aesthetics of it, you know, the history aspects, but he was there to babysit Keiji Muto. Yeah. Just, okay, of course, we've got the kayfabe stuff with him, you know, telling him not to do the moonsault, which was very, very funny. That He pulled a very funny face, and I like that. But he was there to keep Muto in check. Uh, like he, he was in control of the layout of the match and then the post-match as they left the ring. You know, I've, I've said before, people say Keiji Muto can't move anymore. As soon as that match was done, he was out of the ring like a fucking greyhound. But Tanahashi was not going to let him get away. Tanahashi was right there with him, walking together with him down the ramp, you know, holding him up, making sure that there was, you know, a bit of bugging going on for the fans. And then for the backstage interviews, every time Muto was talking... Tanahashi's also got a mic and he's going, hi, hi, hi. So he was there like policing what Muto was going to say because I'm absolutely convinced that they would have watched all the stuff that Muto has done as he's run rushed over the Noah roster and thinking, right, that is not fucking happening here. Not on my watch. Right. It's a proper professional like Tanahashi. So he was there holding the microphone to guide the interview to make sure that Muto didn't just fuck off after, you know, one sentence like he did with the, the last Noah appearance, the, the Nakamura match. And guiding the interview, encouraging people to ask more questions to Muto, there to sort of jump in in case he you know, tried to bury anyone from the roster. Uh, it was quite funny seeing uh, Muto complaining backstage that the entrances were so long he didn't get a chance to get all his shit in because he was saying he wanted to do all these Inoki spots but he didn't have time to do them. And that also his enduring memory of the Tokyo Dome was losing to Tanahashi at Wrestle Kingdom 3. And you can listen to Chris Charlton's podcast, Eggshells, where there's uh, an interview with yours truly yes. about that match. That's uh, right. We did get the shout out from Kevin Kelly there, so we love you, Kevin. Uh, <laughs> with my gag that Muto was going to be in the car park by the time the match had finished. Right. But yeah, just absolutely fascinating the way that Tanahashi, I think, was explicitly given the role to 
don't let this guy get away with any of the bullshit that he's done with progressing lower. That's hilarious because you know what? Uh, and, and, and a, an excellent perspective by you because I didn't necessarily pick up on all of that, right? But as you're saying it, it's like, yeah, there, there you go. Yeah, there you go. And it does kind of all add up, right? This guy is not going to sabotage. He's not going to fucking, we're not going to have a CM Punk moment here. <laughs> yeah. But seriously, watch it. Watch the backstage stuff. They got him pinned in the middle. There's Tanahashi on, on his right and Shota Uman on his left to make sure that he can't escape and just invite him more questions. It's so interesting. Yeah. That's pretty great. Unbelievably great. Um, all right. So, uh, like now he's done, he still has his, main retirement match to go, right? Um, there's nothing else planned in a New Japan ring, correct? Correct, yeah. That's a surprise because I thought the uh, Yokohama Wrestle Kingdom thing would be centered around Muto, and it's not. I, I don't know if that was a plan that changed because, you know, he, he wouldn't play ball. But, yeah, this, as far as it seems, will be Keiji Muto's last match in New Japan. I mean, look, he's cut from the, that Anoki cloth. <laughs> things, things are a little different. Uh, back then, but yeah, okay. Look, uh, here's the thing. I thought the match was fine. I don't, you know, obviously it wasn't great. Uh, but for what we wanted to do and what we wanted to showcase and, you know, we got a guy hobbling around the ring who can barely fucking move. Um, it, it, it was fine. It was fine. And, and, and again, the idea of torches being passed. Um, and generations in the same ring. So it was good. It was fine. Seventh match was the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship four-way match with Hiromi Kahashi winning, uh, defeating El Desperado, Taiji Ishimori, and he pinned Master Watto after 60 minutes, 43 seconds after the time of two. So Hiromi is your new IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. I'll take another victory lap here, David. This is exactly what I said would happen, that this match was going to tell a story to get the crowd behind Master Watto and have them begging for the win. You know, we thought they might have someone steal the win, and they did that in the end, but I think mission accomplished with Watto with regards to this match. He looked the best that he's ever done. Very smart the way they had him systematically take down everyone in the match and have them been basically compromised to, uh, you know, looking like he was about to win. And everyone coming away from this match, people, all the Watto doubters watch this again, you know what, he looked like a star there, and he's ready or very close to being ready. So as exactly how I predicted. This is exactly how the match played out. And I was really upset that Watto didn't get the win. And I'll give them the benefit of the doubt and I'll see where they go with him before I completely shit on this. I, I, I'm squatting over it. I've got my pants down, <laughs> ready okay. to shit on it. But I'll see, I'll see what happens with Watto over the next few months before I do that. And whilst Hiromu does feel like, oh my God, I can't believe he's champion again. He hasn't actually been champion for two years, which did surprise me a little bit. Because just everything that's happened in the pandemic has sort of merged into one big time mush in my right. brain. Uh, Hiromi said he wants to break the defense record for the title, which I think is 11 defenses. I sincerely hope that doesn't happen, but who knows with this company. Uh, so what did you think of the match? Uh, I mean, I liked the match. And and it, it's, at times it did feel like... Like, I'm not the biggest fan of four guys in the ring at the same time. Um, it's just too much, especially with those four. Um, and I think like, uh, in a lot of cases, uh, moves were missed, uh, from, from camera people just because there was just too much shit going on. Um, especially in the beginning. Um, 
I've never been a a fan of Master Watto, and I think that is clear to anyone who listens. That being said, um, the idea of all all people involved in that match had a common goal of helping elevate Watto. Um, And you're right. People bit on, and I bit on more than than one near fall. Um, He didn't look bad. He he didn't look like he needed to be carried. He didn't look like he was like like a a deer in the headlights in, in the ring. Like it felt like he was comfortable. Finally. Now, again, he's in the ring with some fucking talented pro wrestlers, but you still have to do it. You know, you still have to be able to physically do it. Um, And the crowd got into it. um, And I think that that was a key to that match. Look, everybody likes the underdog. Everybody likes to see that underdog fight from the bottom to the top and get to the, you know, win the match. Everybody was on board with it. Everybody was on board with it. And and they didn't have to be, right? They didn't have to be. That could have been anybody else, and they could have hand-waved it and been like, you know, I don't give a shit. He could fight his way. All he needs to do, uh, we don't care. But, th- but he helped the fans care. And I think that is the biggest growing moment for Watto when it comes to in-ring. Like, I think that was a key learning moment of of him being able to to work to make that happen. And it absolutely did to perfection. Um with not again, not only the live crowd, but people at home. So like if the, if if that was the goal, which it seems like it was, how can how, how can you not give it an A plus? You know? That's a great job by by everyone in the ring to make that happen on a guy who admittedly struggled. And it's interesting, actually, because uh, Hirai Kawato, when he was a young lion, that was the one thing he was really good at, is having that crowd connection. So it's interesting that he sort of lost that, along with his confidence, but now starting to find that again. Uh, but as I said, Hiromi is the new champion. Uh, Andrew says, is there much more for Hiromi to do as junior champion? I feel like while all of his success has built him up, another run doesn't do much more, and a move to the heavyweight division would be much more exciting. Uh, I mean, it would just be fresh, fresh matches. Um but fresh freshness does not necessarily negate the fact that you're going to get great matches. I mean, you have, you know, one of the best junior heavyweights ever in New Japan in Hiromo. Um, having a belt and pretty much guaranteeing when he's on the show of, of the match being really great. So you can't complain about that. Um, if you want fresh and new, everybody wants fresh and new. Um, and I get it, but what, what more can he do? Maybe not too much fresh, uh, but you can get consistent great matches, and I'm okay with that. Let's move on to the eighth match with the IWGP US Heavyweight Championship double main event. The challenger, Kenny Omega, defeating the champion, Will Ospreay, in 34 minutes, 38 seconds with the one-winged angel. So Kenny Omega is our new IWGP US Heavyweight Championship. 
Championship champion. Uh, I, I've got a lot to say about this, David. Might surprise you. Uh, let's start with the entrances and just the pageantry, that sense of occasion. And some of the Kenny Omega entrances haven't landed really with me in the past. Like the Undertale stuff that he's done is a little bit too dorky to be cool. But this, this Final Fantasy VII Sephiroth inspired entrance with a proper licensed music made him look like a fucking boss. Like literally, like the final boss of a video game in the best possible way. And I get the feeling this is exactly the entrance that a fellow geek like Kenny Omega has always dreamed of. And it was very appropriate to introduce Kenny like a video game final boss or an anime villain because that's exactly how the match played out. We had Osprey coming out to his old babyface junior theme, elevated, and that's the key theme here in the match, elevating Will Osprey. Yeah. Uh, for people who pay attention to these little things, these are a huge flash and arrows telling you what to expect here in the match. Kenny is the big bad, Osprey is the underdog. And even the excellent pre-match uh, presser interview set the scene for that with Osprey pouring his heart out in a very real way over all the, the struggles, the tribulations, the sacrifices he's made over the last three years. And Kenny just shrugging his shoulders and saying, that's a you problem. I'm just here for business. I'm going to put you away, take your title. But also there's that extra little bit of spice with Osprey having knocked out Kota Ibushi in the Wrestle Kingdom 13 opener, prevented him from potentially being there for Kenny in his last New Japan match in four years. So we got that Ibushi story bubbling away in the background. And look, normally I'm very suspicious of Ibushi being used as a dramatic device in other people's stories, but I thought it worked here because of what went down at Wrestle Kingdom 13. They couldn't just not use that. And Wrestle Kingdom 13 also, the last time Osprey won a match at Wrestle Kingdom. So four years ago and counting. So wow. in terms of the story, we've got so much to sink our teeth into. Before they even set foot in the ring, we've got anime villain Kenny Omega. We've got young upstart Will Osprey. Now, it's a fairly common narrative trope in anime and, and a lot of fiction, to be fair, where the young pretender gets an absolute battering and proves that they're not in the same league as the big bad. There's many such cases of that. And that is exactly what happened here. Kenny out-wrestles Will. He out-muscles him. He out-strikes him. Every time Osprey tries to use his athletic advantages, Omega outsmarts him. Osprey cannot land the Oscar to eat shit on the apron, smashes his own back in. Everything that Osprey usually does to win his matches, Kenny Omega can do better. And Kenny is putting on an absolute merciless beatdown on Will. The, the table, that was the illustrative moment as he stomps Osprey through it, smashes his bloody head through it. There were some spectacularly memorable and violent visuals here. And Kenny's cartoonish, uh, over-the-top villainy worked well here when it was contrasted with Osprey, who was really earnest and desperate. His, his struggle to assert himself. The, the spot where he did the shining thing, the here's Kenny, the villainous cackling. Uh, that worked here because Osprey is getting absolutely killed in a really violent way. So Kenny's shtick looks grotesque and makes him look like a, a monster. And make no mistake, this was, it was like an extended squash match. Uh, sure, Osprey got in a few hope spots, but for the most part, there was no comeback. We were all waiting for it, but it never came. Omega destroyed him and somehow managed to make 25 plus minutes of control absolutely captivating. Will's getting increasingly desperate and every time he goes for the high risk move, Omega reads him like a book and lands something even nastier, like the, the DDT on the turnbuckle or the avalanche Kreutz Roth. Absolutely breathtakingly dangerous spots that you know, these, these could cripple someone with the slightest mistiming, the slip of the foot, but these are two of the best professional wrestlers on the planet ever. I'll say it, two of the best ever. This is what they do. They put on an absolute masterclass of striking and high spots 
uh, plunder spots, and storytelling. This had everything. And look, some people might tell you that this was just a, a disconnected bunch of spots. Those are the people bent over with their pants down, showing their entire ass. You can safely ignore those people. They don't know what the fuck they're talking about. This had psychology and storytelling in bucket loads. And a lot of people went into this expecting a, a flippy-do exhibition match. And there certainly was a bit of flippy-do early long. That, that was part of the story. But instead, it turned into a war. There's no other word for it. It, it was a, a stay-down match where Osprey ate everything. But he kept getting back up to eat more punishment because he's got more heart than brains. We had some AJ Styles Bullet Club callbacks in the match. I loved having United Empire guys ringside. They were living and dying by every twist and turn. They're not getting involved, but just just you know, reflecting all the twists and turns and reacting to it in an emotional way that resonates with you as a fan. And the the, the dramatic climax of this this systematic destruction of Will Ospreay, that straight jacket suplex where Kenny keeps control of Ospreay's wrists. We all knew what was coming. The crowd are losing their minds. Ospreay's on his knees, covered in his own blood. And that incredible moment of acceptance mixed with defiance, a final fuck you to Omega from a man who's mm-hmm. accepted his fate, spitting blood at the guy who's about to finish him. The Kamigoye, Kota Ibushi's move, the, the payback for injuring Ibushi at Wrestle Kingdom 13. There was no crazy finisher reversal sequence here. It was just a straight up execution into the one wing Angel. For me, a perfect match. Just perfect. Osprey afterwards desperately clutching at his lost title as Kenny takes it away. He's in tears backstage about how he's sacrificed everything and he's ended up with nothing. You know, nearly a flawless victory for Kenny, apart from the fact that Osprey managed to give him a black eye with that, uh, the cheeky Nando's kick. And I'm sure that was accidental, but just a, a tremendous happy accident in giving Will just a little glimmer of hope in the future that, you know, he got his head caved in, but he managed to give Kenny a black eye. So, you know, there's something for him to build on that. And, and you know what? The, the really crazy part of all this is, this is chapter one. Right. Now, I'm not saying that they were holding back, but in a narrative context, these guys, they've only just started their story. This could be two matches. It could be three or four. The sky's the limit here. They can and they will build on this because although Kenny got a dominant dominant win here, what this match has done, just like Osprey's entrance music, is elevated Will Osprey. Thank you. It's not quite it's not quite a, a Brett Austin double term, but I think people are going to walk away from this invested in Will Ospreay. And, and that was the goal of the match for all the laps viewers, the new subscribers, you know, just like Jericho did for Omega in 2018. Now Omega's paying it forward. The fans that came to see Omega will stay for Osprey. They, they get that emotional and dramatic hook with Will Ospreay, set the table for war. Because now we've got two final bosses for Osprey. He can't beat Okada. And Omega just proved correct everything they've been saying over the last 12 months by, by battering Osprey from pillar to post. This is Will's, what I like to call the Kikuchi moment. He's lost at Wrestle Kingdom 15, lost at Wrestle Kingdom 16, lost at Wrestle Kingdom 17. That's three huge losses. The story, he can't handle the pressure. So he set up that clear redemption arc for him. He's got to beat Okada. He's got to beat Omega. And he's given himself one year to do it. That's your story. It's simple. It's effective. Will Ospreay has got one year to put up or shut up. And, and Will Ospreay and Kenny Omega, they gave us an all-time great match, the, the start of a classic pro wrestling story. They will meet again. Could this main event again next year? Why not? Absolutely, they could. Could Will Ospreay win the G1? If so, is it going to be Okada that he faces? Will it be Kenny? There's a lot of questions, a lot of mouth-watering, huge money-drawing directions, all set up possibly by the best match from two of the best in the world. It's, this was uh, a, a gritty, emotional, physical underdog performance from Will Ospreay, who... Taken years off his career by letting himself be put through absolute hell, bumping like a lunatic, and let's throw flowers at New Japan Pro Wrestling Kenny Omega because look, I yeah. like AW Kenny. He's had some tremendous matches, but New Japan Kenny, 
just hits different. And I've missed him. I've made fun of him while he's been gone. I've talked a lot of shit about him, but God damn it, am I so happy he is back. It just feels right. There is something about Kenny Omega in that blue ring in front of the Japanese fans, the different kind of reaction he gets from them, the different kind of matches he have. It just feels more powerful and more impactful and more epic than what he does in the US. So bravo, Will Ospreay. Bravo, Kenny Omega. We, we set the bar at the fucking stars for this match. And somehow these crazy bastards over-delivered, which almost beggars belief. I, mean, I said last week, this could be one of the best matches of all time. And they somehow created a piece of art that was way better than what I imagined. Uh, David, what did you think? Where does this stack up with you for best match of all time? First of all, absolutely. You, 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 you captured it. You captured it. The, the, the match was fucking unbelievable but it was fucking unbelievable in ways that we didn't even see coming and in hindsight yeah okay it makes a lot of sense but the end goal kenny omega uh comes in and you're right it, it beats the living shit out of will osprey and will osprey is right there taking all of it uh and delivering when he can. Um, this is chapter one, right? Like, where do you, like, just from an in-ring perspective, where do you go from here? Like, you know, like, the idea that round two or three, because these are still money matches. You mean to tell me you won't, you, you put this in a, in a, in a building in the United States, uh, that, that that's not going to sell. Oh, come on! You know, you you want to put that in Madison Square Garden? Unbelievable. So the idea of and smartly them giving Kenny that title because once again he's going to have that title and he's going to have that title everywhere he goes and that becomes relevant to everyone watching. This belt is important. What you've also done is, in a losing fashion, Will Ospreay is stronger. And you've added a, an additional element to not only his game, but I, I really even feel like Kenny's game too. Like, you're right. Kenny was a fucking animal. Like, he was just a beast. Like, just, you know, it added some uh sandpaper. To his game. And Will being able to take an ass beating like no other. Um, and still finding ways to to walk out of that match stronger than when he came in. Is masterclass pro wrestling. Masterclass. Look. Is it one of the greatest matches I've ever seen? <sighs> Probably. I'm not going to lie. Probably. It's up there. It's in the, it's it's in the mix. It's in the conversation. I don't know if it is number, but it's in the conversation. Um, and the fact that they were able to do that in a fashion that not only got both wrestlers over and got both wrestlers um, better than when they entered the ring, we have excitement and we have drama and we have simple easy to digest storyline 
uh, uh, you know, that is the heart of pro wrestling now, but magnified a trillion times just because of the two guys that are involved in it. Imagine the promos leading up to that. Imagine just, you know, the people salivating for people are salivating for round two. They are salivating for it. And for the first time in a very long time, Joel, we can sit here proudly doing a New Japan Pro Wrestling podcast that we have done many years and sit here and confidently say it felt like we're back. And, And I think to me, more than anything else, we've established the fact that we have a star in Will Ospreay. We've established the fact that Kenny Omega in New Japan Pro Wrestling needs to be. It just needs to be. Now, again, AEW, he could, we need to have Kenny in the New Japan Pro Wrestling ring. It, it, it's, he is, he is that important. He is that good. Like, like for all the ball busting we have done throughout the years on Kenny Omega, he fucking delivers, delivers. And not only, again, gives you the great match. He, 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 this is a defining moment in Will Ospreay's career where he already was a guy who you knew you could count on for great matches. I mean, wrestler of the year, I think for, for, for me anyway, he's a lock. And now he's elevated himself further. Think of that. Joel, he was wrestler of the fucking year. At least in my eyes, we'll see how the votes tally up. He was wrestler of the fucking year. And he's even bigger and stronger and more important after he left that match. Un-fucking believable. And that's, you know, that's both guys. But, you know, you got to tip your cap to Kenny on that too. Because he was he was a big key in that happening so look i'm just i'm just, i'm looking forward to round 2 i want round 2 i think everybody wants round 2 and i'm telling you where whatever building they want to fucking put that that's going to sell that's going to sell and 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 trust me i'll i'll be one of those people buying a ticket for sure uh, Bash says, uh, where do you think the rematch happens for Osprey Omega? Do you think it makes sense for the AEW show in London? Uh, I'm thinking it's way bigger than that, I'm afraid. Yeah. Uh, AEW show in London is going to sell out whatever they, they put. But Osprey Omega 2, if they do it in the States on an AEW show, that could, you know, do big, big money. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm talking MSG. I'm talking, uh, United Center, Chicago. I'm talking, you know, at one point, there was a lot of whispers about a a outdoor show, um, with AEW. So maybe that might go back on the table. But no, it's going to be it's going to be big because it can be big, and not many companies have that positional power of having this type of match that could equal what might be one of the greatest, you know, three, four match sets. Um, here, here's what it is too. For the first time, we're talking about a, an 
a series of matches. And again, maybe I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but we're talking about the possibility of a series of matches that a, for the first time, doesn't involve Okada. <laughs> you know, like when we talk about this, this doesn't involve Okada to a certain degree. It can, like he could be weaved in and, and, and that would be great, you know, because there, there are two bosses that Will has to get through eventually. But to have this, this in their back pocket. And again, Kenny, to be very clear, is an AEW guy, right? He's not a new Japan. He's not signed a, a you know, two year deal and he's living. That's not happened. But to have him involved as much as possible, I, I, I disguised this. The sky is the fucking limit. And to, again, to have that in your back pocket as a pro wrestling company, you got to feel really fucking good knowing that you have that. But also, not only we elevate Will Ospreay, we've elevated the US title here. Yep. And Will Ospreay's reign was tremendous. After he won it from Sonata at Dominion, there was the Orange Cassidy match, the Finley match, Naito, Shota, Kenny. That is a great run with the belt. Maybe one of the best ever. And that title, to me, it feels important now having this caliber of matches. So uh, Roberto says, why did Osprey have to drop the belt to Omega? I understand the US belt actually being in the US for a stretch, but did they try that before with Moxie? And with what result? Maybe I just wanted to see Will go over. And Wrestling Dad says, after Kenny defends against Cobb, shouldn't he have a variety? Should, should he have a variety in his opponents? Or do you think it's going to be title defenses versus the whole of United Empire? So Jeff Cobb looks like he's up next. That looks like it might be happening on an AEW show. But I mean, Kenny has said that he wants to wrestle against uh, Shingo and Despi and Hiromu. So who knows what direction it's going to take. But I think this is a, a, a situation where I think Osprey losing the title does more for him than winning it. Because Absolutely. like I said, you've got that emotional bind and you want to see him, you know, get his redemption. So I, I love watching Will Ospreay. I think he's a great wrestler and... I, I don't think it mattered who lost it. No, actually, it didn't matter who lost it. I think it was really important that Osprey lost the match. After you watch the match, then it makes total sense for the story for, for Osprey to lose it. Yeah, yeah. And, and again, giving, giving, giving Kenny the title, it just helps elevate the title even more, I think. And and the chase is, yeah, is vital. Yeah, dynamite. Yeah, yeah. I mean, in hindsight, it makes perfect sense. And the, and the fact that they did that, and again, this is a new management crew, right? This is a new management crew. The fact that New Japan Pro Wrestling did this is, again, I got to tip my captain, New Japan. Tip my captain, New Japan. Captain, New Japan. Uh, they the fucking New Japan. <laughs> um, the fact that they said, okay. I mean, if, if that... If that doesn't tell you that bygones have been – or bygones and water is under the bridge and let's make some money together, uh, boy, I don't know what will. Um, and I, you, you, have to, you have to give both parties credit for a situation that didn't end on the best of terms. They figured it out. They, they worked it out. New Japan gave you know the belt to Kenny. I think I think like that's not only is that a positive, but that is exciting. <laughs> you know, that is exciting. And we're making stars and I love it. I absolutely fucking love it. And look, in ring, just an outstanding fucking match. But I think the ramifications are even cooler. You know, 
I think the ramifications are even cooler. Antonio says, you guys know that Kenny Omega won the US Championship, right? Yeah, yeah, I do remember that. So there was a rumor from uh, Dave Meltzer that Kenny Omega did not re-sign with AEW, that his contract will expire in February. Will he re-sign with New Japan like Cody did with WWE or stay with AEW to do New Japan gigs? Uh, I would lead more towards the latter. I think he'll stay with AEW, but I think we'll be seeing a lot more of Kenny Omega in New Japan this year, especially seeing how that match went at WrestleKingdom. I'm sure he is just chomping at the bit to get back over to Japan to do more of that. Yeah. I mean, it's got to be exciting for him. You know, it's got to be exciting for him. I mean, everywhere he goes, he, he, he hits the ball out of the park, but you know, that's got to feel good for him too. Kind of a little redemption for him, for Kenny. Um, let me ask you a question with this seemingly uh, handshake between New Japan and Kenny. Does this heighten chances of Kota Obushi popping back? That was my hot take last week, wasn't it? I said I think we will get Ibushi versus Omega this year, and I think that's something that could, you know, bringing Kenny back to the table. We saw Ibushi talking with who was he with? Was he with Sugabayashi and Obari? And the the recent yeah um, yeah is it the Gamujima event? So you know maybe that was just working out details of his release, or maybe they were saying, look, we got Kenny back at the table. You want to do something big here? You know, not just for the money because it sounds like he's got plenty of his own money, but just in terms of creative fulfillment, who knows? There's so many possibilities now that Kenny Omega's back on board. It's amazing how one guy makes that, you know, talk about the straw that stirs the drink. I mean, the, the, the possibilities now are, are, I don't want to say endless, but boy, I, I mean. Do you think if Bush is watching that, I hope going, no, nah, I don't want any part of that. Not interested. <laughs> right. I don't think so. I, I, I think, I honestly think that like a key to, at the, at the very least, Work on a amicable split, and maybe we'll see in a couple. You know, just let's just let's just cool down the fucking temperature a little bit. Um, and I think Kenny, it, the possibility of of him working with the company again helps in that. Uh, I don't I don't see how it hurts. I don't I don't see you know I don't I don't see it doing anything but helping. So I mean, to me, that's exciting because there's another guy that you know it's sorely missed in my eyes sorely missed and if it's kenny that makes him put on the trunks again and the boots let's go for it let's fucking do it okay let's move on to discuss the main event here the iwgp world heavyweight championship match double main event kazuchika okada the winner of the g1 climax defeated the champion jay white 33 minutes three seconds with the rainmakers and kazuchika okada becomes the iwgp world heavyweight champion so you know we got all the enoki visuals we got okada wearing his black trunks and jay white in his white pants they looked really angry. Okada looked angry. They were surprisingly short entrances after all the, the hubbub and, you know, the fanciness of the Omega and, uh, Osprey entrances. There was very, like, relatively little fanfare for Okada and JY. He just gave, Okada just gave stomping out in his Inoki rope, just looking quite pissed off. And I don't know if that was uh, a shoot or what, but 
he was just laying in the strikes, really, really stiff in this match. Both of them were, actually, but Okada in particular. He seemed to be working very, very snug. And I mean, this was a tricky one to rate because it came right after what is, you know, one of the best wrestling matches I've ever seen. So we're still on a comp down for that. And everyone was still talking about the Osprey Omega match while this match was going on. So I, I have had to watch it a second time. And I do think it is a, an excellent match. But just the timing of the placement really hurt them here. And they did really, they both worked really hard. There were some nice callbacks to the Wrestle Kingdom 13 shock finish. They they played back to that. And Okada kicking out of the uh, Blade Runner was a big surprise. They escalated on that with them stealing each other's finishing moves. They did all the tribute spots with the Loki, the Enzo Giri, the Cobra Flosion, uh, and a Raymaker that just turned Jay White inside out, just, you know, larrying him out of his boots. It, it was tremendous. So it was a really, really good match. And maybe the best that the two of them have had together, certainly up in the top three. But like I said, very, very good. Was it good enough for the spot? I don't know. It's really hard for me to fault either of them for the effort or for the layout of the match. Like I said, probably the best match between them. But on any other Wrestle Kingdom, I think it would have been a fitting end to the show. But just because the bar had been raised so high by Osprey and Omega, this one just fell flat at the time. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it did them no favors, that's for sure. I'm sure they were sitting in the back <sighs> kind of doing a sigh, <laughs> you know, like, oh, what the fuck? I, well, how are we going to do this? Um, so it's a tough spot to be in, yes. Uh, that being said, Wrestle Kingdom has a long history of having a match that you think cannot be topped, and then it's topped. Um, and there are people that have had that happen, right? They, you know, had to follow Shinsuke and Ibushi. They had to follow Shinsuke and AJ Styles. They had to follow, you know. I, I remember Wrestle Kingdom 11 people saying after the Tanahashi Naito Intercontinental match, like, oh, there's no way Kenny and Okada are going to be topping that. And look right. what happened. Right. I mean, it can be done. So while I do agree with you that it's a tough spot to be in, uh, it, 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 the best of the best make it happen. Okada was in that mix multiple times, multiple times. So if there is a loose end or a uh, squeaky wheel or, or whatever you want to call it, uh, that's Jay White. That's, that's Jay White. Now, that is not to say Jay White is a bad wrestler. That is not to say Jay White is not worthy of that spot. By no stretch of the imagination am I saying that. But what I am saying is this. He is not a guy that's going to deliver a match that can top what we saw in the semi-main event. He is not Hiroshi Tanahashi. He is not Okada. He is not Naito. He is not Ibushi. He is Jay White. And Jay White has a ceiling. I'm sorry. He is a great pro wrestler. He is a great interview. He has charisma. He has a, 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 a psychotic energy. Absolutely. He is a star. But I would not want him in that position because he can't deliver that. 
Sorry. And here's the thing. Not many people can. Not many. New Japan has been very blessed in the fact that they have had so many talented guys be able to do that. I can't put Jay in that, in that category. I just can't. I don't think anybody can. And I think, unfortunately, when we talk about bars being set, Wrestle Kingdom main events have that bar. It's there. I'm sorry. We, we can, we can ignore it, but it's there. And he isn't a guy that can make that move over that line. He is not a guy that can deliver a Wrestle Kingdom main event epic match. Period. That doesn't mean he's a, a bad wrestler, Joel. That just means that he he's not one of five, six, seven guys, maybe, that can do that. Whether Whatever the reason is, he's just not. And, and that is not a dig on, on Jay White. That is not a – but look, all throughout this year, it's been a little bit of a struggle with Jay. And here we are, right? Here we are. So good match. I thought it was a very good match. Very good match. It was outshined, definitely. I agree with you. I think I will add a caveat. I think heel Jay White has a ceiling. Babyface Jay White, you know, who could let off the leash to do all the kind of crowd pleasing stuff that all our favourites do. Who knows? But again, as Booz always says, Krusty is coming. I'll believe that when I see it. So I'm not going to be holding my breath for Babyface Jay White because, as we'll get when we'll talk about New Year Dash, a lot of question marks over whether he will actually still be with the company or not. But um, thoughts on. Okada retaining. Uh, Stuart says, uh, thoughts on Okada potentially holding the belt for all of 2023, especially since there's not that many people besides like maybe Osprey and Naito who could take the belt from him right now. I think it's a smart move. Look, he's, he's that on that roster. He's, you know, top three. I think that's an, that's an easy statement. And I know everybody, I'm tired of Okada. Okay. Well, he's, He's really fucking good, right? And, 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 and he does have a, a certain way of taking that title and making it important and making the matches important. And every time it feels like a, like a, uh, an epic title defense. Um, so no, I mean, I, I, look, everybody knew it was bound to happen. Like that was the direction they were going. I got no problem with it. I think he should hold on to it for a long time, long time. All right, well, that was Wrestle Kingdom 17, a tremendous show, top to bottom. Uh, that'll bring us on to talking about New Year Dash, which took place Thursday, January the 5th at the Ota City General Gymnasium. So you know, rather than discussing all the matches here, because, you know, some of them were just there, let's talk about the events that took place. I mean, first of all, there's been a lot of speculation about Suzuki-gun and their contract status. Uh, Joe from Voices of Wrestling has done a lot of tremendous work digging into that, and it's really hard to report this stuff because sometimes when sources are telling you stuff and you've you know verified it as far as you can, you're not. It's not always going to turn out to be the case. There's a lot of moving parts to this thing. Plans could change. Uh, you could be reporting stuff that has been speculated on or suggested, but doesn't turn out to be the case. Like you know, remember we were talking about 
Jay White, that the fact that WWE were interested in him. And, you know, you report that and then people are saying, oh, these are the clowns that say Jay's definitely going to WWE. And it turns into a whole game of telephone where it's nothing like what you reported in the first place. But I mean, certainly from my point of view, I think there is a, a you know, journalistic duty to report this stuff. If this is, you know, trusted sources are telling you this stuff. It might not turn out to be the case because like I said, there's, there's you know, a lot of things can change in people's situations. It's the same as, you know, reporting on, other sports, like uh, right. football at the moment. There's a player, Mikhailo Mudrik, who's been uh, linked with Arsenal at the moment. You know, he might go to Arsenal. He might stay at Shakhtar Donetsk. He might go to Chelsea. And, you know, reporting the stuff that's coming out from the clubs, what the clubs are saying, what the players are saying, what his agents are saying, what his owner club are saying, they're all going to be different things. And not all of them are going to turn out to be correct. It's not possible for them to all turn out to be correct. But the journalists have a duty to report all the elements of that. And, you know, it's up up to you, the the viewer, the, the reader, to decide what you make of it. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm I'm in it every day, right? Uh, with hockey and football and, and, and baseball to a certain degree. And, um, you know, it's not like they're just throwing shit against the wall and hoping it sticks. Um, you know, they, we have people, they have people that they talk to and we have people that we talk to. And, um, I'm sure other places have, you know, people that they, you know, you know, Everybody has people that they talk to. Um, it is their duty to do their best to either uh, double check, triple check um, when, when, not when, but it should be done. Look, how many times have we had been told stuff that we did not talk about on air? A, a, a decent amount of times, right? Or we would spin it in a way that, um, and, and, and the Jay White thing is a perfect example of that. Um, but that being said, like I think I, I, I just, I don't know, I don't know. Like I think sometimes people are quick to get things out as opposed to get things right. Um, and that's the world we live in. That's what, that's, I mean, whatever. Um, I, why do I feel like I'm dancing around this? Because it's, I don't know. I'm not. Look, Suzuki Goon had contracts. <laughs> I, what do you want from us? <laughs> they had them. <laughs> they had, and they had them the entire tenure there. Uh, I mean, for multiple reasons why. Um, you know, they, they, they did. Um, but again, we don't know when they're expiring. And right. We don't know if, if the people involved have accepted uh, and agreed on extensions or new ones or what the details of those contracts were, you know, the, the, whatever. There's a lot, like I keep saying, a lot of moving parts to this. Right. Right. Uh, but, you know, there's, like, the problem is this, is that, like, if we start talking a little bit more in depth with it, I don't want certain information to get out that I feel like we need to hold back on. Right. And, and, and that might be a disservice to our listeners and like a total dick tease, but, um, I'd rather, I'd rather not give you the whys, uh, as to the Suzuki Gun contract stuff. Um, but, 
they they have they had contracts for various reasons um not only for, from a pro wrestling business perspective how about that they you know guys have contracts so the first major event to take place in New Year Dash was a uh, seeming alliance between, well, first of all, Minoru Suzuki and El Desperado are back on the same page, and looking like Ren Narita may join them. They came out to help Ren after House of Torture were attacking him, so it looks like there's a possibility of Narita, Suzuki, and Despi taking on House of Torture for maybe the Never Six-Man titles, if not a, a full-blown alliance. So I don't know where this one is going to lead. I think you know it could be a, a smart way to create some sort of faction and maybe have uh, Suzuki positioned together with Narita and maybe they can have a match at some point. I don't know. It could be Suzuki retirement New Japan match where he loses to Narita and hands over leadership or whatever that faction is to Red Narita. Who knows what it is? But at the moment, it's just interesting seeing those three aligned together. Yeah. and But, you know, let's, let's, let's put a little bit of a uh, spotlight on the never six man titles. Finally. Um, and I think that would be a fun tag team if, if, if there is, if, if, if you know, we're getting back into a little bit into uh, Fire Pro Wrestling style, which I love. Uh, yeah, let's get let's 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 see that tag team defend some titles. I, I'd be all in on that. Uh, sticking with the Suzuki guys, we had Doki. Yoshinobu Kanemaru, Taichi, and Takamichi Noku all appearing together and labeling themselves just four guys. Uh, during that match, Doki pinned <laughs> Francesco Akira. So we've set up a catch-22 defense of the junior tag titles against Doki and Kanemaru, who also pinned them during the Super Junior Tag League. And it also looks like we're moving towards Will Ospreay versus Taichi. And I think, you know, whatever they're calling this new faction, I think it's a really good move for both Doki and Taichi because it gets Doki away from El Desperado. So Doki has got room to grow as a, a singles junior competitor when he's not doing the tag stuff with Kanemaru. And also Taichi, he gets to lead his own faction as well, even though they're saying, you know, there's no leader, blah, blah, blah. We're a normal autonomous collective. Uh, not every faction needs to have a main event level lead. I think it's absolutely fine to have mid-card factions. And Taichi, I think that's a decent spot for him to be, you know, the, the Wrestle Kingdom rebound feud for, for the top guys. Yeah. I, I, the only thing that I'm a little iffy and wishy-washy on is... Uh... And when we, we, we lose one faction, and you know me and my factions, uh, and now we have, what, three new ones? <laughs> Just like, oh, who's going to keep track of all this nonsense? Um, but yeah, uh, hopefully it does. Hopefully it's not a thing where all four of them kind of sink to the bottom. I definitely don't want that to happen. But um, yeah, I don't know if I'm super excited about the uh, four-man group or whatever the fuck, four guys, whatever the fuck they're calling them. Rob says, now that Takataichi Mania is no more, do you see a future with these guys getting a job on the booking panel? I feel like the praise these shows got could be used in undercard feuds, especially if they control the booking for just four guys, TMDK and Suzuki Goon 2. I don't know about that. I think these guys like to have their autonomy and their independence so they could go off and do their sleazy, grimy shit that they like to do beyond the, the remit of New Japan Pro Wrestling. So, I can't necessarily see any of these guys walking into the booking committee of New Japan. Um, I mean, I don't even know if they are already, right? Maybe having some influence on, at the very least, their own programs. Um, 
I mean, the only person, I mean, not the only person, but of those guys, who would you say would have the, the best chance? Probably Taka, right? I can absolutely see, uh, I was going to say Kanemaru um, having some sort of involvement in the booking of the junior division, for sure. Right. Maybe they don't want to give Taka that position of power, because that might not be a good look. I yeah, I think if there's anything involving Tucker, it will be very hush hush after his uh, recent shenanigans. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, but again, he, we're talking guys with years of experience. So I wouldn't be surprised if they already have a a, a small word in that. But we'll see. Okay, we also had uh, TMDK challenging Bishamon for the heavyweight tag team titles. We've got Tomohiro Ishii challenging Zach. For the TV title, we had Zack Sabre Jr. recruiting uh, Fujita to TMDK. Uh, Derek says, what do you think TMDK is going to do with their new ring boy? Uh, I suspect he's going to be there as a pin eater for tag matches, but who knows? I mean, either way, it's quite exciting. We're seeing a definite change of direction. We, we talked about the directive from Bushiro to get the guys uh, onto the main roster faster than they have done previously. We're seeing stuff like Kevin Knight getting graduated graduated in the middle of a tour and now Fujita getting graduated in the middle of a show. You know, this is unprecedented. Right. We've never seen anything like this before. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's different. Yeah. Like if you want to change, you want new things, you want new faces. Well, they're doing a good job of doing that. Uh, absolutely. Um, it may not be everything that you like, but you can't fault them for not trying. That's for sure. Uh, we also had Yo pinning Hiromu, and so it looks like he's going to be the next challenge for the junior title, and Oof. Naito and Shota Umino continuing their beef together. Yeah. A big sigh from you. <laughs> I mean, look, it's Yo. I mean, let's see, let's see if he's learned anything. Let's see if, let's see if he, uh, has, uh, found a, a, a little bit of charisma that maybe, uh, was left over from the tag team. Uh, fingers crossed. And then we also have Jay White challenging Hikuleo to a loser leaves Japan match. So, mm. I mean, of course, there have been all the rumors about Jay White possibly going to WWE in the past. We know that they're interested. And now we hear stuff from Sean Rossap that WWE are interested in Hikuleo, as you touched on earlier. So, you know, now we've got an explanation for that terrible match in Sendai uh, between Carl Addison and Hikuleo. That was Carl teaching Hikuleo the, the Monday Night Raw house style. <laughs> Uh, so Antonio says, hey, guys, back with the question since you guys are on number one scoops. First question, who do you guys think is leaving New Japan, Jay White or Hikuleo? Ivrigar says, what number will Jay White be in the Royal Rumble? Paula says, do you think the loser leaves Japan match is intended to give Jay a clear path out of New Japan? And Derek says, if Jay White leaves New Japan, what do you think happens to Bullet Club? So Jay versus Hikuleo, loser leaves Japan. What do you think is the end game with that? <sighs> It was like a coin flip at this point. It really feels like it. And and here's the thing. Again, with, when it comes to Hikaleo, I think everyone and I and I joke about you know, him being a, a fucking tailor made for WWF and WWE, whatever. Um, I think I think Jay White moving on is the best for everybody. I really do. Um, I think. I think working us that Jay White being Jay White in WWE seems like a really good fit, doesn't it? Like, doesn't it feel like 
he would just fucking thrive in that environment. Um, so if I'm a betting man, I'm putting some I'm putting some money on Jay White losing. I'm also putting some money on maybe uh, that's what gets like Jay White loses because Bullet Club fucked him over, right? Um, and maybe that's that th- that's the end of our show when it comes to Jay White's involvement in Bullet Club. Um, but I don't know. Fucked over by new leader L- ELP oh. or Kenta. Oh. Uh, I, I mean, again, I think that's that would be. I think that would benefit everybody. I really do. I, I think it would benefit everybody. Um, Jay gets to go back to the states. Gets to uh, you know he's a, a citizen, or at least he has a green card at this point. Um, he's got a lovely piece of property, lovely, lovely partner that he, uh, that he, uh, tends the ground to, uh, I think that's the best way to go. I think it's, I think that's the, and not that I know that's the way they're going, but if, if, if you're asking my heart, what I think is going to happen, I think that's what's going to happen. The suspicious, the, the cynic in me is wondering if that Hikolo to WWE thing was leaked by New Japan to try and create a bit of uncertainty around the outcome of the match. But that, that's not a bad idea, you know, if really, if you if they wanted to do that. Um, and, and it's not like that doesn't happen in all sports where agents or management or whatever will, will do that to kind of push the narrative to a certain way. Um, I would not be surprised, right? Would not be surprised if that's the case. But that being said, WWE would 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 fucking get a boner over Hikaleo. Uh, we also looked like we're heading towards ELP being Tabatonga's next challenger for the Never Openweight title. And just a little moment where ELP and Kenta seemed a little bit reluctant to do the suit too sweet with Jay White. Uh, it looks like Kenta versus Tanahashi is going to be another direction. But, yeah, just keep an eye on that ELP Kenta thing because I've been saying it for a very, very long time. It would not shock me if ELP takes over as leader of the Bullet Club. I think he would be a great fit for that. He's already established himself as a, a semi-credible heavyweight at this point. We know he can, he can do it. He can talk. He's got the look. Uh, I think the company are uh, pretty high on him. So if Jay does leave, my money would be on ELP taking over. Yep, I think that's the... Uh... Odds are in your favor on that one. Yeah. Uh, also, we had the KOPW four-way match. So Shingo beat Yano Okada show. I didn't really care for the match, no. to be honest. It's a bit too silly for my liking. And so Shingo has won KOPW yet again, despite saying he's not interested in it. and He wasn't going to compete for it. Now, he, the interesting thing is that he has challenged because he's got Okada. And I don't know if this is a way for them to get rid of KOPW because, you know, they've got a lot of new titles now. So... It would be a bit strange to do that very shortly after debuting the new title belt for the KOPW, but who knows? It's, it's difficult to keep track of all this stuff. No one fucking cares. <laughs> Come on, really? No one cares. Like, this is something that it would be very... And here's the thing. It's not even a, a thing where, well, it gives guys something to do. No, it does. At, no one cares. Stop it. Let's, let's, just, let's just fucking... <laughs> let's put a bullet in this one, please. 
Okay, well, how about this? Cactus Max says, if Jay does exit Japan, should Shingo be positioned as the number one heel? It will be a fresh direction for him, and he excelled as one for Dragon Gate. And Wrestling Dad says, is it time to give Shingo his own faction and leave LIJ? If so, who do you think will be fitting in his group? Um, I don't think he's... I, don't, I, I, I mean, look, he's he's tremendous. He's one of my favorite wrestlers, but that's I don't know if that, that'll happen. Um no, I, I just don't see a scenario where that happens. Uh, the last big takeaway from New Year Dash was seeing the dream team of Kenny Omega and Kazuchika Okada teaming up to beat the team of uh, Aaron Hanari and Jeff Cobb. So afterwards, we had Jeff Cobb challenging Kenny Omega to a US title match, probably in AEW. But how cool was it seeing Kenny and Okada teaming together? It's pretty. It was pretty cool. Like it was very cool. Uh, they do their little belts. Every, you know, he's Kenny's looking at the uh, the the world title, and so there's a little 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 play back and forth. But um, yeah, I mean, t- I don't think anybody walked into Dash thinking they were going to see that. Um, so that did make for a nice little close and a nice little surprise. That's for sure. Uh, we also have a card now for Wrestle Kingdom 17 in Yokohama Arena. This is Saturday, January 21st. So we have Kosei Fujita and Ryohei Oiwa against Taishi Ozawa and Yatsutaka Yano. Oscar Loiba and Tomohiro Ishii against Daiki Inaba and Masa Kitamiya. Takashi Sugiura, Satoshi Kojima, Toriyano and Hiroshi Tanahashi against Geno, El Fantasma, Kenta and Naomichi Marufuji. El Desperado versus Yohei. Master Wato, Ryusuke Takuchi, Taika Mask against Alejandro, Junta, Miyawaki, and Amakusa. Togi Makabe and Kazuchika Okada against Yoshiki Inamura and Kaito Kiyomiya. And the interesting, the top end of the card is all Los Ingobernables de Japon against Congo. We've got five singles matches. We've got Bushi versus Tadasuke, Hiromu Takahashi versus Hajime Ohara, Sanada versus Manabusoya, Shigo Takagi versus Katsuhiko Nakajima and main event Tetsuya Naito versus Keno. What do you think of that card? Um, I don't know if like those, those the five matches that you j- just rattled off. Um, I think all of them will be decent to very good. Some have a chance to be incredible. Um, I don't know how I feel about it. Truth be told, like I'm not, I'm not super worked up over it. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. This is not going to be on New Japan World. Yeah, I think it will be pay per view at first. How many buys do you think this thing's getting? Uh, I don't know. I mean, for the casual fan, it's going to be it's tough. It's only you know relatively hardcore pro wrestling fans like us who you know is aware of people like Nakajima and Keno. And those two matches are, are pretty sexy for me. Shingo versus yeah. Nakajima, Naito versus Keno. I I love those, and I will plonk down my money just to see those two. But I don't know outside of the you know perverts like us how much reach that's going to have. You know, for, for the average US wrestling fan, I don't think. It's going to be something that they're going to think, oh, I've got to see this one. Yeah. I mean, now, again, unless it turns into something that's spectacular, people will go out of their way to watch. But, yeah, you got to be a pretty hardcore pro wrestling fan. Or, you know, if you're a Noah fan, like a, like a, I mean, this probably has 
a lot of interest. I don't know. Um, the, those matches sound good. I just don't know if this is positioned right to be something that a lot of people are going to get into. The masses are going to get into. Is, this is not for the foreign fans. I think this is for Japanese fans. I think amongst, from, from the conversations I've had with Manabu, he thinks the Yokohama show is going to sell out. He thinks Japanese fans really like the idea of New Japan versus Noah. So, you know, from our perspective, then, yeah, maybe it's something that is it's not necessarily going to land with a lot of casual fans. But I think for Japanese fan interest, this is a big draw. Probably. Probably. And again, for for people who travel to Japan for pro wrestling, yes, absolutely. Um, again, I just worry about maintaining the – riding that momentum, right? Riding that momentum. Um, and this is probably a good way to do that for for a Japanese fan base, absolutely. But I just worry a little bit about uh, others – kind of hopping on that bandwagon. Uh, John Hernandez from Voices Wrestling says, do you think Naito might drop the main event to Keno? Hiromu and Shingo likely can't lose, and it doesn't make sense to send Nakajima and Keno out there to lose back-to-back. I will say this. I would just ask you all to remember who New Japan Pro Wrestling gave up for pinfalls at this event last yep. year. Yep. It was Gedo, Takamichinoku, Dick Togo, and Kanemaru. Yeah. So... When it comes to working with other Japanese promotions, New Japan don't always play nice. Yeah. So whilst to me it would make sense for Keno, who is extremely funny to me, he's a very angry PE teacher, it would make sense for him to beat Naito, then maybe Naito goes to Noah to get his win back. It would not shock me to see New Japan dominating across the whole card. I mean, they'll, they'll throw out a few people. You can see just from you know the, the names I listed off who is likely to be dropping force with New Japan, but... Shingo and, uh, well, one of Shingo, I, mean, I wouldn't shock me if Shingo and Naito both won. I think Naito could lose, and if I were booking it, maybe I think that would be the more interesting option, but would New Japan see it that way? Don't know. Right, and it really depends upon what the future holds, right? Do they plan to have other shows with Noah? Then yes, it would be perfect sense for, for Naito to look at the lights. Absolutely. Uh, but if this is just a one-off show... And based off of New Japan's past track record when it comes to these type of things, yeah, I think I, I can't imagine there being too many surprises. Let's put it that way. All right, we do have quite a lot of questions about sort of general things we're excited about for 2023, but I will save them for next week. So next week we'll take those questions and we will do our year-end awards. So we will leave it for this week. And I will direct you, dear listener, to redcircle.com forward slash shows forward slash super dash j dash cast. If you want to show your appreciation for the podcast by making a monetary contribution, that is always appreciated. As we said, we don't have the time or the inclination to do Patreon and extra content and stuff like that. Neither of us are interested in doing extra stuff or or putting the main show behind a paywall. So this is always going to be free. But again, if you like what we do, uh, do you want to show some love for us, then we, we always appreciate some donations thrown away and that's where you can do that uh discord link if you want to join our community you can send me a direct message on twitter and you know from time to time you might get little treats like me and damon and boots doing live commentary to shows which was a lot of fun i really enjoyed doing that if you want to buy one of our t-shirts you can go to at cobra kawaii on twitter or pro wrestling 
facebook.com forward slash superjcast. Big thank you to our editor Dan, who you can find on Twitter at LousyHero219. Subscribe to the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network for other great shows. Give us a five-star review on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at the SuperJCast. Thank you everybody for listening and goodbye. Music, it's not just part of our daily lives, it's part of our wrestling fandom as well, and it has been for decades. That's where this show comes in, Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling, hosted by Andrew Rich. Hey, that's me. Each episode delivers a different topic with a variety of great guests, fun conversations, musical analysis, and of course, a heartfelt pun or two. New episodes drop every other Tuesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or your podcast app of choice. Check out Music of the Mat only on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network.